This is Tracing Architecture, and I'm one of your hosts, Sean Swisher. Today, we're talking about how the Great Recession affected all of our lives and careers. Probably the last major global event that we had before COVID that had the same widespread effect. So today, we wanted to talk with our hosts, Matt, James, and myself, and just get a feel for how the Great Recession affected all of us. This will be the first in a series of episodes where we'll be interviewing various people about their experience with the Great Recession and what came out of it. This episode sponsored in part by AIA Arizona and Pella Windows and Doors. With Pella, you get more than just good-looking windows. In every window and every door, we build with an exceptional attention to detail and with a near 100-year history of excellence to back it up. And with a relentless commitment to exceeding expectations, you can be sure that we'll be with you every step of the way. And that's the Pella promise. For more information, go to Pella.com to contact your local architectural consultant or visit our new showroom in Gilbert. I've got Matt and James sitting here ready to chat and we're going to get right into it. So, hey guys, how's it going? Hey, good. (laughs) All right. So, I want to start, Matt, with you a little bit. What stage of your career were you in when the Great Recession hit? And what was your experience of that while it was unfolding? So I was kind of in an odd stage because I was in school and also working. So our fourth year program had a professional practice focus. So for the fourth year, I was working in New York in an internship with Perkins Eastman. And after one semester of that, it was supposed to be two semesters, I was laid off as an intern. Went to go work for Metropolis Magazine for a semester and then went back to school for my thesis year. And then coming out of that, we went back to New York. And then it took about 10 months to find a job at an architecture firm. Yeah. So it's kind of this weird middle space of, you know, I had had a couple internships, but not enough experience to To take on a higher role or anything like that. So still kind of at the internship level coming out at the beginning. What was it like, though, when you got laid off as an intern, like an internship that you had to be doing as part of school, you got laid off. What were you seeing and hearing around you at the time? (laughs) <laughs> it was just bizarre because, you know, looking up and it's like, I, I'm probably the lowest on the totem pole. I can do any task you need me to do, but still there was no work. I think in the office at the time, there were 800 people and 200 were laid off. Wow. It was also just a weird timing because it was, we had a big Christmas party. Everybody was super excited. We were walking into the new year and then come January 2nd, it was, you know, here's the door. See you guys. Wow. I remember when I was like, oh, we were talking with the office manager at the time and he was letting people go and he brought me in. I was like, but I don't get paid a whole lot. I'm doing this for school credit. Like I could stay on and just help you guys and figure out, you know, what do you do to get through this? What can I experience from this? He's like, yeah, we have no work. So I I can't keep you on. Mm -hmm. There's literally nothing for you to do. Yeah. So, you know, best wishes and send me on my way. (laughs) Okay. So then you wrapped up your fifth year, you said it took you 10 months to find a job. What was that like for those 10 months? So that was just, again, like in New York and my girlfriend at the time, now wife, super gracious and letting me crash in her apartment because she was paying for it. And it was just month after month of sending out resumes, updating it, trying to stay up to date with things going on and not hearing anything back from anybody. And took an odd job working for a gentleman, Max Pine, just helping with his scheduling as an older gentleman who was retired and helping with his calendar and stuff and just doing some random odd jobs around the city. And then finally found a job with Silverstein Lasky Architects in New York. And it was an odd experience because I 
was, you know, I'd been looking for 10 months. So I was fairly desperate to find something because it was kind of a make or break moment of like, am I going to have to find a different career? Or is architecture going to work? Yeah. So I went in and they kind of knew that. And it was a place that, you know, now looking back, they were a business. So they were very in the mind of we can get someone for less. That's fantastic. Let's do that. And so starting salary was 24000 in New York in 2010. <laughs> no, no overtime, no anything like that. It was just salary job. And it was gut wrenching of like, well, this is what I want to do. Gonna have to figure that out. Yeah. And it was, it was tough, but it was a way to get in. How did you make that work on, on that <laughs> level of salary in New York? Uh, the graciousness of my wife, who, yeah. you know, she, she had a job uh, with JWT at the time doing advertising. So we could keep our studio apartment at Burry side and it would, it worked, but it was not easy. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So it seems like, you know, maybe compared to some other people, you had a, you did, you were impacted in your career, but you had a pretty quick line right back into it. Was there any other big shifts in your career based on that event? Or, you know, was it really just that 10 month period? For me, it was more so, I kind of agree. I don't think it was a huge impact in the sense that I got in. Right. Relatively quickly. And I had some internships beforehand and I was able to stick with architecture. Yeah. But I definitely saw a lot of the things around me of people who, you know, 10 years into their career and getting a massive pay cut and then being asked to take on more responsibility and, you know, not able to advance in their careers the same way. So I saw all of that. And it, I think that's where more of the impact came in for me is just the perspective of I've experienced some of it, but I've also seen what other people had to go through during it. And I've tried to carry that perspective through my career of like keeping in mind other people are going through other things when it's tough too. Yeah. You know, just trying to navigate that around. It's always a team. There's always a shared vision for a project. And how do we as a group together move forward through something that's tough? So the, that great recession experience gave you a different perspective on what it means to work in the field, probably a little bit of an appreciation of something that you had to work so hard to get back into, but then also seeing all these other people having to basically have their lives disrupted when they're deeper in their careers. And maybe the doors are a little bit less open for them to make a shift if they have to say absolutely. And, and even expanding on it, it's like, you know, the projects at the time didn't have big budgets, you yeah. know, even our clients didn't have funds to make things work. So it was, it was also coming in at a level where I could do whatever you guys need help with. I'm willing to take on whatever task to get into this field and get started. But there's some stuff that just isn't, it's not glamorous. But it still needs to get done and you have to, or I had to sit down and figure out how can I get the value out of this thing that's being asked of me and how can I do it well so that I'm proud of the work I'm doing and craft this well, even if it's something like door schedule or bathroom details or something else, just, I mean, hell, even like starting out, it was organizing material libraries and mm -hmm. organizing the spec libraries when they weren't digital. Bathroom elevations are always the trope for the intern yeah, exactly. job that nobody wants to do. Yeah, but but just <laughs> taking that, you know, to say, I actually have something. I had a lot of friends who were let go and I can do something. How can I do it well? How can I take the time to make it the best thing I can make it? Yeah. Because I have an opportunity to do it at all. Yeah. So, James, I want to switch over to you because I want to get your story as well. How was your career affected by the Great Recession? And what were you seeing unfolding around you that gave you a, a cue that something was happening bigger and then how that ended up affecting your career? Well, my experience is a little bit different than Matt's. 
for myself, I had graduated uh, from ASU in 2005 with my master's. So I had three years of work under my belt when the recession really started to happen and unfold. And at that time, I was working at a firm that did primarily schools work, K through 12. And here in Arizona, the school facilities board had put a moratorium on future work. So all work got cut. And I saw that our jobs were going away and work was becoming scarce. And it was frightening because prior to this, I was almost assured of my career. Everything would move forward. I had never really experienced this sort of hiccup or anything that would challenge that path. It was really, really confusing. And I remember there was a series of layoffs and everyone would be concerned about it. And this went on for about eight months. And at the time, I was working essentially two jobs. I was job captaining projects in the design studio. And then I was also working in the marketing department. And my title actually was director of marketing. And I was going after new work. Yeah. As a um, job captain. As a job captain. And I remember going to pre-proposal conferences, the meetings before pre-proposal meetings. And at the beginning of the year, I would attend those and there'd be like six or eight firms would show up and they'd have the sign-in sheet and we'd go through the questions and figure out how we're going to respond to the RFPs and RFQs and, and, and that. And then as the year progressed, I saw the attendance of those grow from what would typically be eight or nine firms to 80 or 90 firms. And those rooms were just packed. And that's when I, I came upon the revelation that like, this is something serious happening. And then when I was in college, I had a classmate, a roommate who was from Central America, so an international student. And he was experiencing the same thing down there. And that's when I realized this was happening on a global scale and really impacting our lives. And I saw those rounds of cuts go through and I felt confident in that I was working basically two jobs. But of course, with working two jobs, I was getting more pay. So it made me more liable to get cut, I guess, because they needed to save money. Yeah. And we went through the holiday season in 2008. I opened, uh, was part of a school opening in uh, Round Rock, a 97,000 square foot project that I worked on, job captain, and felt really good. And then I remember after the beginning of the year in 2009, I got called into the managing principal's office and he was telling me that I was being let go. And I remember just standing there with my legs shaking mm. because I was just overwhelmed with fear. Like, what is going to happen? This is not something I had ever even foresaw happening. I almost felt assured of my career, my career path. And at the time, I wasn't really pursuing my license. And I remember Arizona was starting to go through its legislative changes on licensing requirements and the process for that. And I got let go and I didn't know where to go. And I was given a severance package and I started drawing unemployment and I did not like that. I felt just horrible drawing unemployment. Mm. And I was looking for work, putting out resumes every day, going out to different firms, dropping off resumes. And initially I thought with my, with my skills and my experience, I would be able to find a job in, in weeks, weeks turned into months. And it got to the point where I, I needed to seek other employment and I started seeking jobs outside the industry. And when I was in college, I was a pizza delivery driver. And I remember this and I applied for a job as a pizza delivery driver. And I remember getting the rejection notice and like just being devastated. Like, are you kidding me? And it's, it's not a personal reflection. It was just a, a reflection of what was happening in our economy at the time. Yeah. And I heard about a, a drugstore opening in West Phoenix, and I went down to 
the drugstore that was closest to me and found out that was the manager that would be transferring to the new location. And I, I asked him, you know, can I get a job? And he's like, well, you know, we're not really looking for somebody of your skill level. You know, you're overqualified. And I'm like, and I just looked at him and said, you know, I hate being on unemployment. I just want a job. I just want to earn an honest wage. Yeah. And, you know, he, I'm grateful. He, he gave me a job. And I started working as a clerk at this drugstore, a national chain. And it really changed my perspective on my career path and on life in general. You know, I had this predetermined course, I believe. You know, my father was an engineer, my mother was a teacher, and I was I was given this this privilege of entering into this industry. And at the time, I wasn't really aware of, of how privileged I was. I thought I had worked, you know, my ass off for everything. And the truth is, I, I had worked for it, but I was given certain opportunities that I don't think everyone is given. And it allowed me to be grateful and have that perspective on on where I came through. And when I was working at that job, I was a guy that would clean out the trash and take it to the dumpster. You know, I would mop floors, I would sweep floors, I would restock items. And it really changed my perspective on work. You know, I developed this attitude that it's not about the job that you have, it's about the job that you do, right? It's the quality of level of work you do. It didn't matter if I was taking out the trash, it didn't matter if I was sweeping floors, I swept them to the best of my ability. And I remember I, I started showing up to my shifts like 15 minutes early. I started getting the mentality that 15 minutes early was on time and being ready for my shift and ready to go. And my manager saw that and I quickly advanced. And I think that's also to some of the skills that I uh, attribute to what I learned in college. Now, I advanced through from being a cashier to a photo clerk to a pharmacy tech. And this was over the course of a year and a half, two years that I was working there. Now, in the meantime, I was also doing some contract drafting. And basically, I had the computer that I used when I was in college and had a bootleg copy of a software that I'm not going to name and was able to pull in some money and basically keep my skills sharp. That was my most important thing is that I, that I don't lose sight of my goal. Mm. You know, when I was in college and in high school, my goal was to become an architect. And I think when I graduated from college, I kind of took things as a matter of fact, or as like, this was my predestined path. And I, you know, all I had to do is, you know, show up every day and I would be able to keep going. And that's not the case. I had to realize that I had to work for this dream too. I had to continue to grow and learn. And it's a miracle that I'm still working in this industry. You know, I feel that those challenges really really shaped my perspective on what I do today. At the time, like I said, the legislation process and process for licensure in Arizona changed. And I think I worked contract drafting and worked at that drugstore and transferred around to each new store that opened. And then when I was working as a pharmacy tech, I remember I got transferred to a 24-hour store. And one of the reasons why I wanted to work in the pharmacy department was because I saw them leave on the holidays uh-huh. and close down. And I'm like, well, yeah, I don't want to be working Christmas morning here. Sure. I wanted to spend time with my family. And that's why I went into the pharmacy part. But what happened is I ended up getting transferred to a store that had a 24-hour pharmacy. And on holidays, all the pharmacies would shut down except for that store and like two other stores in the valley. So it became the busiest pharmacy. And I remember the pharmacy manager pulling me aside and saying, you know what? I want to make sure you can handle this because I've had people just walk off in the corner and cry during the holidays. And I said, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot and I'll, I'll do my best. And that was my attitude. And I remember that first Christmas I was working. I had probably been working in the pharmacy for about six, seven months. And I was the one that had the most experience except for the pharmacist. 
And everyone was looking at me to get answers. I'm like, well, just try this, do this. And, and I think it's the skills that I learned in college is like in this industry, you just kind of have to shoot from the hip sometimes and go, okay, well, here's what we're going to try to do because there's not always a set answer for a problem, you know, and so it's problem solving skills that I had to develop in yeah. college. So one of the things I wanted to touch on from what you were just saying, I, I you mentioned how you essentially felt like you were taking it for granted that you would become an architect, like mm-hmm. that you, you've done everything you needed to, but that instead of getting frustrated and disenchanted with architecture as an industry because it wasn't given to you what you were expecting you actually started working harder now you didn't realize you were working so hard for it because you were working as a pharmacy tech but all of those things you were doing to be able to get back into the industry working other hours to do drafting and all that that was all skill and uh mentality that you were building to then take into your career later did you realize that at the time like just what you were building up in your personal skill set that wasn't even necessarily tied to architecture? No, I'd have to be honest and say, no, I wasn't aware of that at the time. You know, it's in in hindsight, I see that. At the time, through this recession, and I'm just trying to survive, basically. And that's what a lot of firms and a lot of architects through that that time, just like these current times we're struggling, they just try to survive and, and don't really have that knowledge until it's it's happened and, and they can see that in hindsight. I definitely didn't see that. I was just like hungry to get back into the industry because this was a dream of mine yeah. and that was a dream that I had pursued. And it seems like I started taking it for granted and the universe kind of gave me a smack in the back of the head and said, don't take this for granted. I wanted to draw another connection between you and Matt because so Matt had, both you had your careers disrupted. Matt's for a little bit of a shorter time. You went pretty way off track. I mean, to go from basically working, having a solid career several years in the industry to being in a totally different market sector, retail, essentially, with no real clear path coming back. How did you write the train to get back into the industry? I think that what... One of the big things is I continued to try to do contract drafting and stay in the industry, even if it was on the sideline, kind of doing side work and just keep at it and pay attention to what's happening in the industry and keep knocking on doors, keep putting out resumes, and then basically ready to take anything. Because even though I was doing well in retail and succeeding in that, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I remember that being one of the hesitations on my promotions when I was in retail. Well, you're just going to leave us. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's because it's not my career dream. You know, it's not the path I pursued. I went through, you know, I got my bachelor's and master's. I I worked hard for this and I continued to work towards that goal. And I remember I was putting out resumes and I think it was a Craigslist ad that I found and put in a resume, had an interview. And I remember showing up to that interview and I did mock interviews with my nephew who was in, I think it was 4-H or something like that, where he was a government and they conducted meetings and I I wanted someone to basically give me a mock interview and he had done that through that process. So he did a mock interview for me and he was, I think, 18 at the time and I prepared to the T and I remember I went into that interview in a, in a suit and I was professional. I had questions for them, answered their questions. I had examples and showed them this is what I had done and I was offered a position mm-hmm. and, you know, I jumped at it. Yeah. It, it wasn't a great pay but was more than what I was making and I was happy to take it. 
because it allowed me to get back into the industry. And that firm, I'm still in contact with the principals there. And I, I definitely am grateful for them giving me a chance to come in. And when I came back, I jumped after the opportunities of licensure. I, I started my NCARB record and started logging time and started preparing for tests right away. And, and I got the architect's handbook, took it home and was reading it on the weekends. You know, this was something that had basically stalled out my career and I wanted to kick it back into place. Yeah. So it really ignited the fire and passion for this industry again. When you got that job, what did that feel like to finally break through back into the industry? Uh, <laughs> I can't even describe the joy that I felt and the relief. Yeah. Uh, it was just an intense feeling of relief, like just being able to walk through that door again, to work in an office, to go from working in a firm for a few years. And I was there at, at the firm for about four years and being in that professional environment to go into working in a retail environment where basically my coworkers are fresh out of high school yeah, and they're just young. And it was a different mentality. I remember one of the things that I, I questioned when I first got out of school, got my master's, I was working in that firm and I looked around and realized that not everyone that was in that drafting studio pursued architecture. Hmm. Some of them had just gone to technical school and became drafters. And that's all they wanted to do was right. just log in for their eight hours and draft and go home. And that wasn't me. I was always confused by that. Like, yeah. it was a dream to pursue this path. And even though the universe kind of pushed me off path for a while, it still stayed constant as a goal at the end. I remember even, even my dad sitting me down at one time and said, well, maybe you should try to look at other career opportunities because maybe this isn't for you. It's just not in the cards. And I'm like, I'm thankful that I'm stubborn. And I, uh, given the opportunity, I would try to ice skate uphill here in the desert. <laughs> and that's just my stubborn attitude is like, and I think I take it as, as my heritage. Um, my Finnish heritage is like, we're stubborn. And they have a particular word in Finland in the Finnish language called sisu. And it's basically translate to overcoming odds, you know, mm -hmm. our pursuit of our goal, you know, whatever we need to do, we, we, we work through it. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it's interesting that we have these different experiences and perspectives of the same moment in time. And I'll share with you a little bit my experience because I feel like it in some ways bridges a little bit about what each of you went through. When I graduated from school was 2010. So the Great Recession was like 07, 08. And I remember sitting in a final review for, I, I think it was to the beginning of 2008. And one of my professors, who I really respected because he, he was a very intelligent, well-spoken person and seemed to really know a lot about the industry. We were all sitting around as a group and talking about what was going on, each of us having a very small idea of what was happening globally or what was unfolding at least. And I remember him saying when we were all thinking, what should we do after we graduate from undergrad? And he was like, go straight into grad school. There's not going to be anything available for you for some time. And I remember at the time thinking that was a really funny idea. Like, that's not what happens. You get your degree and you go get a job. And you get a job in the chosen field that you've worked so hard to get into. And so, at the time, I kind of like laughed off this idea that there could be something so dramatic as to throw off my career choice, my career path. Because I had been from a young age singularly focused on becoming an architect. It, it was all I wanted and all I could imagine being. So, if I couldn't be an architect, it was almost like I could be me. So, I just put that out of my head. And 
at the time, I worked for an architect. I actually worked out of his household and had to see all of his family drama that went on at the same time as trying to like draft for these different projects that he was working on. And each one of them throughout that summer in between my third and fourth year, each project was dropped, just like funding dropped, the client didn't want to move forward, whatever. And so he barely had enough money to pay me for the work that I had done. That was the next glimpse into it for me where it was just clear that this was happening to many people, that this was going to affect me at some point. I went and studied abroad for a semester sort of saw an international experience of it, but again, with very rosy colored glasses and not really seeing the bigger picture at that time. And then I graduated. I had no money. I had student loans I was going to have to pay for. Moved back and lived with my mom, driving her PT cruiser around to try and find jobs. And I was printing out resumes and portfolios, walking into offices, basically asking to meet with principals And sometimes being kindly but respectfully turned down, and other times not so much. And everybody was saying no. There was not a yes to be found. So I worked at a sports camp that I had worked off and on throughout high school and college. Worked at a summer sports camp just to make any little bit of money that I could keep myself afloat for a few months. And in October of that year, I actually applied for a graphic designer position at an in-house software company. And I don't have a degree in graphic design, but I had the privilege of getting to work on some things when I was in school, working with the School of Architecture over at USC to do some graphic design projects. So I had this very minimal portfolio, and it was luckily enough to get me this job. And so there was this period of time for two years where I worked as a graphic designer, and I thought that maybe I was going to just shift into that. Like maybe architecture wasn't for me. And that was a really weird place to be in because I had for so long seen myself as an architect and that that's what I was going to do. And then I realized all of the things and to the graphic designers out there, this is not met in any disparaging way of your industry, but all the things that are wrong with working with clients in architecture are elevated in graphic design. Just the like, micromanaging, the wanting control over the project, all those sorts of things. They're worse as a graphic designer. It's even harder to carry something out, a design vision, especially if you're younger. So at some point I was like, I got to get out of here. There's no way I'm going to last. This is too frustrating. But it had been two years. I didn't know how else I was going to get back into the industry. And so I went and got a master's degree because I felt like that's the only way I could sort of account for the time between graduating from undergrad and trying to get back into, into the industry. And I think a lot of people went that same route, you know, maybe not the exact same route, but like going and getting a degree only for the reason of being able to get back into the industry. And has sort of led, I think, to some of the things we see today in in the industry and in education about what level of degrees one's expected to have when they they come out and and come into the workforce. Yeah. And and you bring up a very interesting concept or topic that we all throughout our careers have always identified as architects. Yeah. Even prior to licensure. I'm not saying that we were saying we're architects, even though we were licensed. What I'm saying is- Not in the legal sense. Yeah. That is our end goal. That's how we've always seen ourselves. Yeah. Now- because of life events and the global recession, the great recession that changed. Yeah. And I had to look at myself 
as not an architect. Yeah. I had to re-identify myself as something else. Who is James, right? Yeah. And I'd like to ask Matt, what was your take on that? And and did you have the similar experience where your identity was almost removed and you had to redefine who Matt was? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that there was a question for a time there of, is architecture going to work as a career? Because there just wasn't anything to be found. There was no way to get into it easily. Looking back, like, would I have changed anything? I mean, there was multiple times where I gotten an offer to come in and take an unpaid internship. And I just couldn't figure out how to make that work. Yeah. And looking back, I'm like, yeah, maybe could have figured that out. But would that have been a better answer? I don't know. It's interesting. You both kind of talked about it with like how school prepared you for that. I remember Virginia Tech. It was an interesting program because they were kind of out of the Bauhaus lineage of like stripping things back to their core functionality and purpose. Like what is design at its true core and how do we support that? But then also with that, how do you in a career that's constantly changing learn? Mm-hmm. And so the, the core tenant when I went through there was we're going to teach you how to learn. I'm not going to teach you how to do CAD or Revit or anything else. This next program is going to be different in five years. Yeah. We're just going to teach you how to learn. And I do remember in 2010, I mean, the professors were well aware that it was difficult to find work. So they were very encouraging of like, no, you, you have learned how to design. Design is relevant in any field. You can literally go do whatever you want in any field and be competent at it because we have taught you to open up your mind, to learn new things, to try new things, and look at things from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So I had several classmates that say far more that are not in architecture now than are, because when we came out, it wasn't a, the word architect in that school was different than a practicing legal architect in the term. It was more of the mindset of a designer and how you approach problems and think about things. Yeah. So that was interesting too. You had brought up about like learning those things in school. It was taught. For me, I'm curious if you guys had that same experience. It prepared me for pretty much anything. Architecture happened to be what I wanted because it was this amalgamation of 15 different things that just made sense together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's there's the part of that is just a general higher education that teaches you how to open your mind and be able to gather information and, and collect it into something that you understand and then could carry out. And that is relevant to any field. And, and that's where just higher education can be beneficial. But to the point specifically of an architectural education, you've got some things that are very technical, like design software, you know, various different forms of that, whether it's CAD or whether it's like Photoshop or whatever. You learn these raw skills that can be relevant in many different career paths. Like I became a graphic designer for a period of time through no other reason other than the design skills I was taught and the technical skills I was taught or or gleaned throughout my education. But then problem solving, problem seeking, the design thinking mentality of how you break a problem down and investigate the nature of the issue to then come to a solution is transcendent to many other careers. And I think if if there was one thing that's the most relevant, most beneficial part of, of my education was bringing that mentality to any problem that comes to me. What about you, James? No, I definitely agree that you know, our architecture education gave us definitely transferable skills. I know as architects, some of the skills we have to have are, are time management, working under pressure, you know, critical thinking, problem solving. And those are all things you could use in any industry. Yeah. 
I think architecture education is is a form of programming or indoctrination in no nefarious <laughs> way, right? It gives those those skills. Like it, yeah. it says, okay, this is what we need to do. Now, when I was in college and I was I was always focused on studio. And mm-hmm. that is one that is probably the most least structured, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you define someone's grade that's in studio, right? It's yeah. on, on how they work and how they manage their time. It's not necessarily on their final design. It's by kind of working through that jello mold or gelatinous ideas and concepts yeah. to come out the other side. Now, I'm just thankful that I'm on the other side. Yeah, yeah. I think another thing to reflect on with our experiences is would you have done anything differently? I mean, I think we all had to approach the situation and and do the best we could. And we all came back out of it into an industry that was decimated for a period of time. So clearly we've made choices to consciously bring ourselves back into architecture. But would you have done anything differently than you ended up doing to get to where you're at now? Would you have approached the problems that were placed in front of you differently or would you live it all over again? Because we can't just say the Great Recession could have just not happened. It was an, a, almost a global inevitability at some point. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, James? Well, my thoughts are, yeah, I think I would have done some things different, but then I would have a different outcome. For me, and this is in hindsight, that I had to understand that my internships, my first firm I worked for, all the stuff I started at early in my career, the first year, let's say, is the foundation for my career, mm-hmm. right? And just like the foundation for a building, that has to be rock solid. And the better it is, the better the building is. And if it's not, then your whole career can fall down. Now, for me, I gave this career path as a given, basically. And I didn't set aside time to start my licensure. I, I pushed it off. And even though my instructors in college were like, hey, start early, get going, get yeah. doing it. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just happy to have a job and pulling down some nice money and going out on the weekends and enjoying life. And in retrospect, I wish I would have jumped into my licensure process earlier and pushed into larger projects and pushed my way into the industry even further. But to that point, though, you gained the appreciation because of the experience you went through, right? Yes. If you didn't if you didn't have to face the hardship that you did, basically being entirely removed from this career that you saw basically in your hands and suddenly stripped away, you wouldn't have that appreciation for then working harder once you got back in to go get that license. I mean, am I No, no, you're totally on track. Yeah. And uh hashtag the struggle, right? <laughs> I mean, the struggle is real. And it's because of that struggle that things are are better. And I'm a better architect and man because of that struggle. It changed my perception, my perspective on on my whole life. Yeah. It opened my eyes to the fact that what I thought was a given is not. I'm still going to have to work for it. And my perspective, my eyes are continually open that even though I thought it was a given, I thought it was a given because I was privileged, right? I had certain opportunities as others do not. And as a result, to this day, I try to open doors for other people. Yeah. You know, junior designers in my office, I try to push for them to to work on projects and and attend site visits, even though if we're overwhelmed and, th- and they need drafting support or modeling support. You know, I push for them because I know what it was like for me. And some of those doors were cracked open for me. And I failed to push harder on the doors to open them bigger. Mm. Now I've learned that sometimes I have to knock on that door for six hours straight before it opens mm-hmm. and then walk through it. It's not a given, but working in this industry, I truly believe is a privilege. Yeah. 
it seems like your experience really humbled you to the path that you could get back to, but that you were needing to work a little bit harder. You, that was just the the path set in front of you, but it, it gained you a whole new perspective on what you can do and why it's important. Matt, what about you? Would you have done anything differently? Let's say, yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I don't think I would have because the perspective that it imparted as far as how I now see things, how I now work through things yeah. was informed by some of those experiences. And having learned from those things, I think was valuable for me. Some of the bigger things that took away are like, you know, it, it it's a team and you're all there with the same goal to make the project successful. So there's, there's nothing beneath you. Yeah. There's nothing beneath anyone on the team. It's all part of the same project. For me, it was having to find those small moments where coming out of school, you're not going to be designing an entire building that, you know, you get to design your own projects in school. So you think, you know, I can do this. This is great. But it's the reality of the situation. There are hundreds of people in these projects through the design team, through construction. And you do have an important part to play. Every person does. Yeah. And I think that helped me get that perspective of even the little things I can do this well. Like James, you talked about sweeping the floors. Like it's this little thing, but I'm going to do it as best as I can because I know that's the impact I can have. And I'm going to try and do that as well as I can without having that perspective of like, actually, no, I know it's like to sit in a room for 10 months and, you know, try and get this job. No, I, I wanted this. This is why I worked hard to get it. So now I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got. For every opportunity. Uh, Yeah, you know, I until we started having this conversation, I guess I hadn't realized how much appreciation I had gained for for being able to do what I thought I always wanted to do in my life and career. I absolutely thought I was entitled to being an architect, like that that was just a thing that was going to be given to me because I went to school and I worked hard for it or whatever. But just like you were saying, James, there was a lot of things that were privileged to me to make it as easy as a path as it was. And then to have that sort of thrown askew, really right when you feel like you're at the doorstep of entering your career, certainly humbles you. For me, that experience, I I don't think I would have changed a whole lot of what I did. I think with each step, I did the best that I could with the information I had in front of me. The experience of walking into offices and having to put my face and my resume and my portfolio in front of somebody that had no expectation of me walking through their door or even speaking to me or whatever, seeing how different offices respond to that, how people respond to that, and then the personal experience I had of basically having to be told no to my face over and over again, in some cases, not so nicely being asked to leave. I think persistence is a skill that I didn't have before that I didn't I don't know if I knew that I had it in me because I probably have had things handed to me most of my life that I didn't realize sure I worked for them but probably others had a much harder path in getting to where they were at and if I could change one thing I probably would have gone to grad school earlier because I think you know 2010 things were starting to get better they were not better. They weren't back to normal, but things were taking a turn. And for those two years between graduating and going back to grad school, working as a graphic designer, I gained a lot of skills that I'm very appreciative of. But I think I could have gotten into the industry and gotten back on track a little bit earlier if I had gone back to grad school sooner. But 
I would have taken a totally different path. I would probably wouldn't have met my wife at the same time, you know, so can't really say a whole lot else because probably would have rolled into a thousand different changes that wouldn't end up where I'm at now. And I'm very thankful for where I've come out to. Well, it's interesting thinking too, like having gone through that and had that experience now, like thinking around like COVID recently and how we've learned from those experiences and been able to take that forward. How did that shape what you did next with your career and like how navigating COVID even was like another big worldwide event that had a major impact in our field? Yeah. So when I came out of grad school, my first thing was survival. Like I think we had mentioned that earlier. I was just in survival mode. I needed to get a job. I had just gotten this new degree. If I can't get back in architecture, I'm screwed. This this was kind of like the last ditch effort. And luckily, I was able to get a, a job with a firm where they let me learn a lot on the job. So, I didn't have any portfolio preferences, whatever. It was like, are you ready to hand me a paycheck to do architecture? Great, I'm, I'm in it. But after that, I think to your point, I have always been interested in the variety of architecture of like, all of the different types of work we can do. So in that way, maybe sort of subconsciously, I didn't want to go to some place where they only do one thing for the same risk of if that market falls through and not being able to continue that kind of work. But then through COVID, a totally different story. But I wouldn't say it changed my perspective on that. I've always kind of wanted to do all the different types of work I possibly could do. What about you, James? Well, I think you both mentioned this, and, and I totally agree with it, is diversification, Yeah. right? Not only of our financial planning, but which is sound financial planning is diver- diversified. I tried to take that concept and put it into my career and diversifying my skills, yeah. right? And not try to focus on one skill and become an expert at this one thing. Like, I try to focus on different paradigms and different typologies, different construction methods and different processes since coming back into the industry after the recession i've tried to stay working at smaller firms which requires me to develop different skills and broaden my skill set one thing i did coming back in is is jump on the process of getting licensed and i pushed through that and got got licensed Mm. and then i got multiple license in other states just to make myself more valuable more valuable i guess And also the ability to work in multiple states. You know, if Arizona crashes, maybe I could move, right? Back then, my backup was construction and the whole Southwest was crashed for for construction. So, I didn't have a diversified skill set to work upon. And I've tried to grow that, you know, not only work on the design side, the, the construction management side, the firm management, like try to take an active role and and understand how that works and marketing side, you mm-hmm. know? And when I go out in the field, I don't go out there as the guy that knows everything. I go out there as the guy that wants to learn everything, mm-hmm. right? That is my goal. And I can sit there and talk to a guy that's putting up drywall and ask him different questions. And he can provide me with a whole new set of information that I hadn't even considered that affects the way I spec drywall or gypsum board or detail it, you know, or even think about it like, oh, I hadn't even considered that. And that's because, you know, if we're, we're stuck in a pigeonhole sitting in a drafting station, modeling station and doing it one way over and over again, it becomes outdated. Yeah. We have to be willing to grow, change and evolve in this industry. Yeah. You know, you, you said two things that I guess I hadn't really put together, which was 
diversifying a skill set, I hadn't realized, but that was definitely a survival skill I was putting to use to make sure I could be valuable wherever I went. And that actually lent itself to wanting to stay in smaller firms because I was seeing in 2008, the big firms laying off 200, 300, a thousand people, you know, just you'd hear about it all the time. Now, I'm sure the small and mid-sized firms were also laying people off, but there was something about making yourself very valuable at a small firm where you get to learn all of these things. You get to diversify your skill set quite a bit. You don't get kind of set in one role that you're looked at to carry out for a long time. And that does make you, whether it's valuable at that firm, valuable at the next firm, or valuable to starting your own office sometime in the future, the skills that you're able to get, the more you diversify that, the more prepared, the more resilient you're going to be for the next market downturn. Matt, I want to make sure to come back to you because you have made a career change in the midst of COVID or right before COVID. And so... James and I at least haven't been disrupted by that, but I'm curious if you saw anything that was happening during the Great Recession and anything that's been happening with COVID and this whole job market and how that changed your experience and how you were approaching this new job and all that. I can't say I saw COVID coming. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, for me, it was, I was at Smith Group at the time and I was looking for a smaller firm, ended up at Richard Kennedy Architects and was there for three weeks before we went to work from home uh, for COVID. But for me, it was a much better fit of, it's a small firm where you're doing everything and you're using the wide skill set where it's more of the generalist approach. You're not necessarily an expert. I mean, some people I work with clearly are very, very capable, but it's not necessarily the fact that you have to be an expert at one thing. Mm -hmm. We don't have like a medical planner on staff or something, you know, but it's, that's kind of what I saw through the recession. Maybe that did impact it subconsciously, like you're saying, but it's that, you know, you you keep yourself fresh, you try to go through the different skills and learn new things. And it's actually where I've started to appreciate kind of the downtime. Like if you're if you're slow on a project or you have time in between things, that's a great opportunity to learn more and to expand what you can do and learn a new tool. Yeah. That doesn't happen all that often. And I mean, projects are fast and the budgets are tight and you you have to work hard. But when you have the time to take the opportunity, it's it's great to expand. Did you feel, though, any sort of hesitancy three weeks into your job, go into COVID lockdown, basically? Did you have any sort of resonant feelings from the Great Recession of being like, am I going to be the first on a chopping block here? Is, th- is this another repeat? Did you have that a- a feeling at all? Or Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely there. But I think part of it, too, was Having some of the perspective of like having gone through the Great Recession and worked through that and yeah. and tried to stay in it and work as hard as I wanted to or as hard as I could to stay in it because it's what I wanted. Being able to look up and say, yeah, I've been through something before. I can like, handle it. Can it get much worse? I mean, sure, it could. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe in some ways it did. But instead but, of instilling a sense of fear, it was like made you more resilient. You're like, I can, I can get through yeah, this if something happens. Because again. you have some confidence in yourself to say, I, I know how to push. I know what my limits are. I can push. I know I'm capable of really learning new things. I will figure out how to make this work. That's fine. Yeah. I would say it wasn't so much fear as just a, a confidence in, I've been through something before. I can do something. Not that they're comparable in that degree, but to say that it was globally effective and, you know, firms were affected. Well, so I want to bring 
the Great Recession and COVID together for a moment, because similar to that line of thinking is that these events that have affected the entire world and in our little sliver of that world in the architecture industry, how much that's affected, how we're working, the types of work we're doing. And now that we are perhaps coming through towards the end of the pandemic being more endemic, the society is moving on, even if we're still having new COVID cases all the time, there is this feeling of we're, we're moving into the next phase of this. And the market, the industry is so different now from what it was at the end of the Great Recession. You had an entire industry architecture being just one being more or less decimated and groups of architects, whether it's architects in the middle of their career or young architects just looking to get into the industry, having their career trajectories thrown off track. And now with another global event that affects the entire world and has affected our industry greatly, you actually have record levels of unemployment. Everybody's trying to hire. There's still construction going on. Projects are fast paced and tight budgets, but there's still so much stuff happening. It's not like crickets 14 years ago. It's the entire opposite. I'm curious what other changes you're thinking are different. What what other differences you've seen in what we're going through now compared to 2008? And I'll throw it over to James to start out. Well, I'm going to throw it back to when I was in college and I had an instructor. He was a practicing architect and he told me that this industry is feast or famine, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be waves and ebbs and tides in the work. And you just have to have that vision, that overall sight line that it's going to be your career. You know, that you're, you're going to have different projects, you're going to have different jobs, but you're going to have one career. Now, going through the Great Recession and how that affected us, it has just instilled in, into our, into my belief that you have to be flexible. You have to be able to be able to change positions on almost a moment's notice, but also have the experience to know which position to change into, right? It's definitely made us more... I don't know how to describe this. We're not set in our ways. We're not, we don't have a set plan of how to produce work, how to mm-hmm. do work, but we still need to do and produce work, right? Yeah. Technology is a tool we, we lean on a lot. And my concern is what happens when that technology fails? You know, for a while, for a year, I think we were all working remote at my office. Yeah. And which is great as long as the infrastructure stays in place. What happens when the power goes down at the office and it, cuts production for everybody. Now, of course, I'd been in situation when I first came out of school in that I was working in the studio and somebody hit a transformer and the building power got cut. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time, half the building power got cut, let me be correct. And I remember them running extension cords around to different workstations for the projects that were more critical. (laughs) And it was just a conglomeration of different electrical cords going everywhere. And that just comes back to that we have to be flexible and try to work. And we have to prioritize what we need Mm -hmm. to do, right? In COVID, it just didn't change the industry. It changed society. Yeah. And now we have to look at how we relate to other people. And, you know, during the time, you know, we had the six-foot you know, social distancing, how does that affect us mentally? How does that affect us as people, not mm-hmm. as architects, but as people? Mm-hmm. So even though we had these global events that affected our industry, they're not exactly pieces that can fit together, but yeah. there are similarities. Yeah. And we have to look at what 
what our solutions to those similarities are mm-hmm. and our flexibility and our ability to work around solutions as architects, I think leads us in our industry and in our society is to come up with different ways to solve problems. Yeah. All right. What about you, Matt? So going back to the Great Recession, when I was starting out, there were people in that role who were ready to take the next step in their career. They've been working for 10 years. They were ready to start managing and start delegating. And that ability was kind of taken from them because Mm. it was, well, no, we can't hire someone to help you. So we need you to, with taking pay cuts, step up and do more. And you're going to have to just delay that part of your career. Yeah. From my perspective, there was this kind of almost embedded mechanism for years after where it was hard for people to ask for help because Mm -hmm. the help wasn't going to be there Mm -hmm. of we're not going to be able to find people. So even now still seeing some of where that's had effects over the years of even if I get help, I don't know how to communicate to that person how to help necessarily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just speaking broadly and just different personalities you run into that exacerbate or, or help with that. But I think it's just for some of what I see now with people coming out with COVID, there's kind of a speed with which you expect things to happen in a career that might happen in other careers that's normal Yeah. of, well, I went through school, I'm trained, I mm-hmm. can do this, I'm capable. And it's hard to communicate to someone that, well, but it does take time. This is a career where we're generalists and you have to be exposed to things over a long period of time. Yeah. But you see people look up and they're, the challenge is, well, if you're not investing in me i can't invest in you and and moving to a different company yeah and instead of staying and taking that time where it's slow to learn new things or to broaden what they can offer on the flip side for people who are managing how to take in that help while it's there and figure out how to use it well it's an odd dynamic and i i don't know what the right answer is other than it's interesting to be on the side learning from it and seeing it happen and having it be similar in that respect of trusting and working together to figure out how to accomplish something great together. I mean, there's benefits to what's going on here from a labor perspective of the healthy labor market means that people are able to get better paying jobs and they're holding out for more of what they want and employers having to be more flexible, all that sort of stuff. But the negative to that sort of position is kind of what you're saying, which is Maybe people earlier on in their careers not understanding what comes out of being with a group of people and working with them and learning from them over a longer period of time and gaining that perspective of what it means to move through the different stages of your experience and career in a sort of slower track. It's like you're able to jump faster from one firm to the next to increase your earning potential, but maybe your career or at least your educational part of your professional career is sort of diminished in that way because you're kind of always starting afresh the the more you move. Well, and that coming from one side and then just almost an element of fear on the other side of someone coming in new, it's difficult to to really help them figure out how to help you with yeah. you doing a better job in project because they could leave. Yeah. So yeah. it's tough to say to invest in someone who could take that next opportunity quickly, but you have to, you have to be willing to to train someone to better them. And, and honestly, the perspective I saw through the recession that is, I try to keep it. Sometimes it's tough is this is an industry. We're all here to help each other get better. If someone you've trained for two years leaves, sucks you put a lot of effort and investment into that person but hopefully that is something they can take 
and make a good career with elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. I, I mean, you can't take things personally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's one of the things that I've learned in this industry is you come up with a great design and show it to the owner and he says, no, you can't take that personally because you're essentially in the service industry. You provide a service to people to design and build their buildings or help with the building of their buildings. Mm-hmm. And Matt, you brought up an interesting topic of investing in people. In this industry, it's continually growing and adapting. When the Great Recession hit, almost all firms were using two-dimensional drafting software. Now, almost all firms are using three-dimensional BIM software, right? Mm-hmm. We have to grow with that. And not everybody knows that. Even some of the firms that have architects that have been working in the industry for a long time, they don't understand BIM because they don't use it on a regular basis. But they have to understand that they have to invest into incoming personnel and also invest into themselves that possibly maybe you can look at architecture in a different light by using different tools. Yeah. Essentially, it all comes down to using what tool works best. But yeah, you definitely have to invest in others in this industry to allow yourself to be invested in yourself. Okay, so I want to come back to what we're seeing in the industry and then also maybe what we're learning about it. Because, Matt, you were talking about this a little bit. When I came back into the industry, I felt like there was a gap in mentorship. I mean, there was definitely a large group of people. That's that's one big perception I can still see today is there is this large swath of our population of architects that are just gone, that, that, you know, they went into other careers after 2008 and they never came back. And so when I came back into the industry, there was a gap in mentorship. There was just fewer people available in that range, say right above me in an age range to be able to kind of bring me up through those things I was experiencing at the early part of my career. And so something that I've learned and try to take into the way I practice is that I'm going to make sure that the people that are coming up behind me have support for two reasons. First, because I didn't get to benefit from that as much as I may have liked. It's a necessity, I think, for our industry that our our education actually provides a very narrow glimpse into what it looks like to to be an architect and to practice. And so, you got to help them see the things that they're not yet seeing or don't know enough about and impart that knowledge to them. But then also because those people, if they don't feel supported, you know, if they don't feel like they have somebody to back them up, if they get into a spot that they can't get out of, they're going to leave. And we're going to have the, you could have the same situation again of a group, a swath, a slice of the architect population choosing to go elsewhere because we do have that super competitive employment market right now. So, we have to, in in the ways that we're able to, bring the people up behind us so that they don't abandon the industry the same way and we experience it all over again. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about that gap in mentorship because I don't think this is universal, but I definitely noticed several people throughout my career where there was a time when people were being asked to take on a lot more. When yeah. They were ready to grow into the next step. And just that pervasive sense of burnout through the yeah. industry of when it was finally time to like, okay, now we're back on a normal, things are relatively good. Now you can mentor. Now you can go back to that next step in your career. And a mentality in some that I've noticed where it's to burn out to help. I figured out how to do it on my own. You can figure out how to do it on mm-hmm. your own. It's not going to be that hard. Mm-hmm. And it's not entirely wrong, but at the same time, it's not the kind of support necessarily yeah. that 
I think some people expect when they come out to say, how can you help me help you with becoming good in the career? Right. I so, mean, it would be it would be one thing. I mean, that sense of burnout, it would be one thing if you were in a career where the degree you earn directly translates into the work you're going to do. And what I mean by that is we have a licensure process after you get a degree. One of the paths you can take is you get a degree and then you have to intern for, you know, roughly a few years to get all the hours you need to then go take your tests or, you know, simultaneously and get your license. So, you have to have that mentorship because the class you took in your freshman year is not going to prepare you fully for the thing that you're going to do two years into your career that you're just facing for the first time. So, the people that have had that experience, and I, I totally see what you're talking about with that, there was a sort of portion of architects that were just like, figure it out on your own, that that's what you're here to do. I don't think that benefits the industry to have that mentality. So, we have to continue the practice of mentoring to ensure that that doesn't happen with the next group and the next group. No, I totally agree with that. But on the topic of mentorship, you know, it's important that it's not a entitlement, right? You have to seek out people to be your mentors and people have to seek you out to be their mentors. I get a lot of staff coming in and asking me questions and my initial response is always, well, where'd you look for that? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's that not that I'm pushing them off, but I want to make sure that they're doing the research and and trying to find the answer on their own. And that is something that I think is instilled in all of us as architects that we have to be self-motivated and research. And if we can't come to the answer, we we ask somebody else, right? Right. And it makes us somewhat self-reliant, but it puts us in the middle. Like, I've never had a mentor that like sat me down and said, do this, do this, read this book, do whatever. Mm-hmm. I had to go out and say, okay, well, hey, um, can you sit down and talk to me a little bit? What, what right. should I do about this in my career or something? I had to seek out a mentor. And on the same time, when junior staff come to me and ask me questions, I ask them where they've looked. And as they said, you know, I've looked here, I looked here. Okay, well, then let's sit down and I'll sit down and spend time with them mm-hmm. and try to find a, a solution together. And the good thing about that is I always love that because then it reinforces my own knowledge of something. Sure. And I love it even better when they come to me with a question that I don't know. Okay, well, let's sit down and figure this out together. And then we both benefit from that knowledge. We both learn something. Yeah. We've talked about how the Great Recession has affected us as architects, but I'm curious, how has it affected us as people, human mm. beings? You both touched on this about your spouses. Yeah. So I'd like to dig into that a little bit deeper and say, growing through this great recession, being outside the industry, coming back, whatever happened, how has it changed you? One, I guess, revelation earlier on, which isn't really surprising, is seeing it as a business. Like architecture, it's a passion for a lot of people, but it's also a business. And you do have to take care of yourself, too. And seeing how many people were burnout and struggling through things, it's a good reminder to take the time to be with family, to have things outside of work that you're doing, something outside of business where you can kind of wind down. Mm-hmm. And so, it it's more just realizing that there is a lot more to life and that this is a career, it is something that is a passion, but there is just more. Yeah. And to be fully fulfilled, that's, you know, a lot of it's family. Yeah. And a lot of it is the other things that we can do. The way that the Great Recession has changed me as a person in some ways, it made me more confident. The immediate coming out of school, I was so taken down several pegs by not being able to become an architect right away, not being able to get on that path to becoming an architect right away. I felt really just like a failure, frankly. 
that I couldn't even get a job in this field that I had just spent so much time working through to get my degree. And so, you know, there's a point you're sleeping in your mom's guest room and driving her car to the fifth office of that day, you know, and having the door more or less slammed in your face each place you go. And you're just like, damn, this sucks. This is not how I envision this part of my life going. To come through on the other side of that, to enter in a field that I had frankly, no business, at least no professional degree allowing me entry into that field immediately as a graphic designer, being successful, you know, I didn't get fired, I left on my own volition, and I was successful while I was doing it. To get into grad school to get an advanced degree, and then to get back into the industry, each one of those steps just made me more confident in who I was as a person. It made me remember that I do have the strength and skill to like put my nose to the grindstone and go get things done and change my path for the better however I want to. And I think I was not as resilient before the Great Recession. I think if I had just been handed a position in the in the field and just got to move forward into it, and then there was a recession later on, I mean, maybe I could have come through the same way, but I would have taken it for granted more. I think that's really how it affected me as a person. What about you? Well, for me, I feel that prior to the Great Recession, I felt like I was looking at the world through a people and having going through the struggle to get back into the industry and, and change my life and everything like that. I feel like I'm opened up my perspective, opened up my eyes to what's going on. And I feel like and sometimes I still looking at that people, even though I have a wider perspective, I need to keep opening my eyes and keep learning and keep seeing what's happening. You know, our industry has so many impacts on society and people that are in our lives. And, mm. and it's not just about the job. You know, we have to have some balance and have our families. You know, you talked about the support of your wife. It impacts this industry and career impacts our families at the core nucleus. And then and it broadens and impacts the society at a community level. It's just overwhelming to me at times that I'm actually working this this dream job, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thankful and I'm still human. And sometimes I forget and I get complacent and, you know, worry more about how I'm going to finish out this detail and not want to talk to the, to the young intern about yeah. how to solve a problem. But I have to remember that it's not always about me. It's about we, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, you talked about teamwork a little bit. And I was taught, I don't have to know all the answers. I just have to know where to find the answers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a architect really is meant to do is to engage the entire team and get the answers and feed it into the right process. Yeah. Well, and, and while we were talking, I had to add to my answer too, because it's interesting starting out where I did, because there was a lot of, you know, family dynamics of my wife being the one working in New York, bringing in the salary that supported mm-hmm. us both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very much like kind of that jump in the deep end of like, there's, there's no normal. Yeah. Normal isn't a thing that exists. It's this weird paradigm that we try to aspire to, but it's whatever makes you happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that situation of the Great Recession and just the ways that everybody had to make it work made more things like more lifestyles, more ways of having to deal with a situation acceptable because you just you just had to go with it. With my wife, we met right before I graduated from undergrad. And we moved in shortly after we started dating 
because I don't have anywhere else to live. I just I, so scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> I know she like I didn't have a car. I was using her car, you know, like without her support. And then she also was the one with the full time job when I was in grad school that was supporting us to make sure we had a place to live and food to eat. I think that the Great Recession certainly taught me it's more than just you. It takes a village, but it at least takes one very understanding girlfriend and then wife (laughs) to help you through it. Thanks for all your stories and perspectives. I really appreciate getting to learn more about both of you um, and and what you guys experienced. So that'll do it for today's episode. And we're looking for more stories about how people were affected by the Great Recession or maybe by COVID. So if you've got a story you want to tell, reach out to us at tracingarchitecture at gmail.com. You can listen to all of our episodes at tracingarchitecture.org or wherever podcasts can be found, like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We're also looking to add more people to the Tracing Architecture team. So if you're interested in helping out, reach out to us. Again, our email address is tracingarchitecture at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. And again, this is the kickoff episode for several episodes. Hopefully, it'll follow.